Hi, welcome to Building a Business That Lasts. My name is Jay Owen, and I'm your host. On a quest towards stories, tips, and ideas that will help you grow a business without being stressed out, worn out, and ready to quit. Each week, I'll interview other business owners who have successfully grown businesses of all types for many years. It's my hope that these conversations will help you build a business that lasts. If you love the story of an underdog, you'll love this conversation. Dyslexia made school very difficult for Dave, to the point where he didn't even graduate from high school. But what he did know how to do was work hard and help people. He and his wife, Michelle, of over 25 years, started Dueling to Creek Carpet Care and have grown that business for over a decade. What Dave didn't have in traditional education, he made up for with hard work and customer service. If you're in the business of helping people, especially homeowners, I think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Without further delay, here's my chat with Dave. Hey Dave, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me. So we have known each other for a long time. I think even back to almost the beginning of your business, which you've been in business around a little over 11 years, I guess, right? March of 2006. Which is awesome. And so when we first met, I had no employees and you were just starting out in the business and we were in a networking group together. And now we've both, you know, kind of been through a lot over that time period, (laughs) a decade. It seems kind of crazy to think that it's been that long. But one of the big things that I love to do on this show is get other business owners who have been around for 10 years, kind of lasted that test of time and get a little intro from you to kind of hear why did you start in the first place? What made you say, hey, I'm going to start my own thing, and then tell us a little bit about what you do? Well, it's, uh, it's interesting. I have, uh, I've always been a, um, a go-getter. Um, I don't like limitations. I don't like to be held back. Um, I don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to ask what to do. And one of my biggest limitations and something that very few people know about me is about halfway through 10th grade, uh, I was asked not to come back to school. Mm. I have real bad learning disabilities. Um, I don't read very well. So I had some major struggles and battles to go through. And, uh, you know, every job that I had, I always excelled to the top because everything was my job. I I never had a job description or a job, you know, hey, you got to work in the warehouse. Anything that I saw needed to get done, I always did. And I did it to the best that I could. I always wanted to learn. I always asked for more. I always pushed for more. I take criticism very, very well because you can't get better unless you're criticized. But I always found myself hitting a wall because of my lack of education, not because of my lack of skill, not because of my lack of work ethic. It was always because I didn't have that piece of paper. One of my best assets is problem solving. So when I'm presented with a problem, I don't panic or say, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I say, okay, what am I going to do about that? And every time I'd hit a wall, I'd say, okay, well, you know what? I'm done with this. So I'm going to start a business and I'm going to create my own destiny and there's not going to be any limitations. And that's what started it all. And so you and your wife work together and I know she helps a lot with scheduling and and business admin and stuff like that. So what did she think? Or were you guys together? That Were you married at that point? What's your you know time frame? Yeah, Michelle and I have been married for 25 years. Awesome. Um, and uh, she is literally my other half. I, I don't do anything without her. We talk about everything. We're a true partnership. We have the same email address. We have a joint Facebook account. Hmm. I mean, it's it aggravates our friends, but it's just us. We're, we're literally one person. Um, in that 25 years, we grew together. And we have the same hobbies, the same fun, things that we enjoy. So she's a vital part of the Mm -hmm. business. She sells herself short quite often because she is behind the scenes. 
and everybody asks for me, everybody, you know, I'm the face of the business, but this business would not be where it is without her being there. But we also have our limitations as far as interaction with the business. She doesn't come outside and look in the shop and look at the trucks and critique the trucks. And I don't go in the office and critique the <laughs> office. I don't schedule work. So we, we give each other the respect to stay away from our aspects of the business. Not that we don't help each other, but if you were to call me and say, hey, Dave, can you come to my house Monday at three o'clock? Yeah, let me call Michelle first because mm-hmm. that's her gig. So that's the that's the the definition of making it work when you're married to your work partner is you have to have boundaries and rules and you have to leave the marriage and enter work and it has to be that way. And then when you're done with work, you go back to marriage because she's the boss at home, whereas I'm the boss at work. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that one of the things that's really important to me as as I talk through this podcast and other things as well is I think it's one thing when you see people who go gung-ho on their business, as I think you and I both do, but they do it at the sacrifice of everybody else around mm-hmm. them. And you see that happen all the time and usually it doesn't end very well. And I think one of the things that's awesome about you guys is – you know, you've been married for 25 years. You've been in business over a decade. There's a level of commitment there that says, hey, there's going to be stuff we're going to go through that's not yeah. good, and we're just going to go through it together. Yeah. And that is really cool. I think the boundaries thing is really important. Uh, two things that you said so far that really resonate. A little bit earlier, you said you can't get better unless you're criticized. And I think that's really critical because a lot of times I think we live in a culture where people don't want to hear negative things about themselves. I mean, nobody wants to hear no. negative things about themselves, but at the, at the same time, I think it's so important to ask the question, what am I missing? What could I do better? And and ask that of, of, of anybody, but especially your spouse, the person who knows you the most. And then the, the other thing you talked about was boundaries. And that kind of leads into knowing what your strengths are. Yeah. You know what you're good at. She knows what she's good at. And you're willing to go, hey, I'm going to let you be good at this. And, I'm, and I need you to let me be good at this. Right. And you've defined that and you've clearly communicated that. So thinking about strengths. How did you come to that point? Did you just kind of inherently know because you knew each other well enough that these were the areas you would be in? Or did you have to kind of figure that out to figure out who needed to be involved with what? Well, it was a little easier for us because where we met um, back in Maryland, uh, she was the office manager of a carpet cleaning company, one of the biggest ones in Maryland. And I got hired on to work on the trucks and, and, you know, fleet maintenance and then go out on the road every now and again. And, um, you know, it's a funny short story. Within two weeks of working there, I told one of the guys that worked there, his name is Donnie Toole. I said, I'm going to marry her. And he burst out laughing. He goes, you're an idiot. I was 19 years old. He goes, you're stupid. I was like, I'm going to marry her. Well, she has me by 13 years. So <laughs> he's like, get out of here, man. You know, so uh, we laugh about it now because Donnie's still a close friend. And I, I bring that story up to him. I was like, you remember when I told you I was going to marry her? And he goes, dude, if I didn't hear it, I wouldn't believe it. So we had carpet cleaning experience. Um, she already knew what she was doing. She was already trained up. So when we moved down here to Florida, uh, we flipped houses for three, four years. You know, the carpet cleaning business is a dirty business if you do it wrong. Uh, you can start a business tomorrow and say you've been doing it for 20 years and just start ripping people off. Sure. So it's it's an unlicensed, unmanaged business um, that is just dirty to get into. We didn't want to get back into the business because of that exact reason. Mm -hmm. And then we started thinking when the market flipped um, and started to dry up, flipping houses, you know, I said, let's get back into carpet cleaning. And she was like, never, ever, ever again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, if we do it right with honor and we take care of people, the business is going to build itself. We'll be able to do some really good things in the community because that's extremely important to us. And we'll be able to do some really good things for some employees, which is very important to me. So we just started a business 
and paid attention as it grew. And each of us just kind of took our role. You know, she deals with the IRS. She deals with the accountant. She deals with QuickBooks because of my dyslexia and my problems. Comprehending is just not a good place for me. Can I do it? Yes. It's way easier for her. She understands it better and she deals with it better. Whereas my strengths with problem solving are on fire out mm. on the road in the field, just dealing with any issue that pops up. My, my brain immediately starts to fix things that are broken or need to be fixed. I don't panic. I don't get worried or upset. I just say, okay, how do we fix it? If the wall is a hundred feet tall, we need to jump up 25 feet, fix it first 25 feet, jump the next 25 feet. So I don't get overwhelmed by the mountain of problems where she does. She, she'll bury herself and just completely freak out. And that's where I have to come in and say, okay, let's break it down and simplify it and just fix it. Mm. And that's, that's kind of just something that part of growing together is two individual people for 25 years grow together into one. You know, that's the same thing with business is, is, you know, your partner, you have to grow with your partner. You have to sit down and have the hard conversations and talk about the things that aren't pleasant that need to be talked about to make things pleasant. You can't let things fester or upset you and just let them dwell to the point where you're mad instead of just upset. It just it's going to lead to nothing but disaster. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that, that level of communication, what I always say is the biggest problem with any relationship is expectations. I expect that you're going to do X, Y, or Z, but you didn't expect that you were going to do that. Yep. But nobody, neither one of us communicated that. And sure. so what I always say is that the communication is the bridge that connects expectations. Sure. And ultimately, it doesn't matter whether that's a husband and a wife or uh, two team members on the same level or you know, a, a leader of a team and a, a subordinate of a team. It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. That communication, I think what you said too, is really important. The quick communication of mm-hmm. like, hey, something's wrong. Let's deal with it right now and not let's deal with it a month from now. Because exactly. that's where things – because I think a lot of times in business and in relationships, it's not the big things that actually break stuff. Because when big things break, everybody rallies and they all go out and fix it. Like – you know, when there's a massive hurricane in the community, mm-hmm. everybody rallies. Doesn't matter whether you're left of the spectrum, right of the spectrum, Democrat, Republican, Christian, not like it doesn't matter. Like right. everybody just rallies and says, hey, this is a big problem, we're all gonna fix it. But but I think in all relationships and in communities, the, the bigger things are actually all the little things. Yep. It's that all these little things stack up and stack up and stack up. I think that's kind of what you're saying yep. is when you don't deal with those little things, they become a big thing, but then it's hard to fix them because you don't even know where it started. It's got blown out of proportion. If everybody did something every day, it is such a simple thing to do, but you have to work at it. It's, it's actual work. If you were to simply go to your employees or go to your spouse and say, thank you, I appreciate you. You would be a whole different world because what they're mad about, they now feel appreciated and they understand that you appreciate them and they take a different perspective instead of you being a jerk. Maybe it's you doing something that you have to do that you don't really want to do, but you're also every day saying, thank you, have a good day, or hey, man, I appreciate it. Before I came out here, the guys were out filling the truck up. I went down to the shop and I was like, how's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, we're doing pretty good. All right, well, y'all have a good day, man. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Turn around and walked away. You're dictating the start of their day. And that's very important, but it takes work because if I'm having a bad day or if I'm nervous or if I'm not doing good that day, I still have a business to run, a marriage to make happy, employees to make happy and feel appreciated. And I have to lead by example. And that's going, setting the tone and saying, thank you. I appreciate you. Have a good day. And the reward that you get for that without even doing anything other than trying to do something nice is huge. I think that that idea, it's kind of an idea of an intentional positivity 
because it's easy for any of us to get in the habit of just pointing out the things that are not right. Yep. And it's easy to just assume that when things are good, you just know they're good. Yep. Um, I always joke it's kind of like it's kind of like the CIA. You know, if they're doing a really good job, nobody knows. Right. It's only when they do a bad job. That's exactly and so we right. have to be intentional about looking for things in all relationships that are positive things and creating that positivity. Yep. Otherwise, it's it. I think unfortunately, humanity tends to veer off into the negative unless yep. it's intentionally pushed towards the positive. Yep. Uh, I want to circle back a little bit. Of talking about education, mm-hmm. dyslexia. I don't know if you knew this or not, but my second son is actually dyslexic. Oh, I didn't know. And it's interesting because I have very interesting opinions on traditional education in general that a lot of people don't agree with necessarily. But <laughs> uh, he's a good example of this because you know he's he has a, a great tutor and it's really helping him learn to read better. But you know we we realized very quickly that our you know what was what we thought was just him learning a little bit slower was he actually physically could not read. And and, all, and then we really realized it was when our son, who's two years younger than him, was now reading better than he was. We're like, okay, something's actually not right. But what's so amazing about Oliver is his skill sets in other areas are so off the charts. His charisma, his ability to connect with people, his ability to care for people is so high. Yep. But the problem with the traditional education system, it does not value or acknowledge those things. And yet, you know, there's so many people that I know who just did not flourish in that traditional education system, and yet they're wildly successful. One of the guys I love to follow on social media, who's a little bit out there crazy, but he's exceptionally successful, is Gary Vaynerchuk. And he always makes a big deal about the fact that he was a DNF student. Like, he was not good at school. He hated it. He was bad at it. He didn't want to do it. Um, And yet... He's one of currently the most popular, most successful guys on social media, period. Yep. You know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And like the traditional education system, to some extent, kind of failed him. Yeah. And I'm curious, kind of, you know, you kind of talked a little bit about it. But this idea of, I think especially in all kinds of trades, we have such a weakness right now as a country because we're in a place where... I think we're starting to come out of this, but there was a whole generation that said, if you didn't go to college, you're not successful. That's right. And that was one of, that and the, and the belief that you have to own a home. Those two things to me are one of the biggest lies that came out of like the 80s and 90s. 100%. Um, because it really messed a lot of people up. Because And now we're dealing with the consequences of that in the trade industry because we don't have enough no, people that can right. that are good craftsmen because they didn't learn properly. So I'm curious your take on that as far as, you know, people doing internships or, you know, um, you know, kind of apprenticeships or learning in the trades, like things that people aren't learning anymore. I wouldn't deter anybody away from education. I, you know, I have six nieces and nephews that, you know, I tell them to go to school, do the best you can, push. It's, there's two things that can happen when you're hit with a learning disability. You can either crumble or you can rise above it and push harder. Um, my honest from my heart feelings on college are I think it creates laziness and false sense of what you can accomplish. The education you're getting, if you go to UNF and you take a a particular class, if you took that same class at 10 different colleges, you'd have 10 different opinions on that same subject Mm -hmm. because you're being taught the opinion of the teacher. You're not being taught actual facts. You're being taught an opinion. So you're actually being changed through your education without you even knowing it. You know, there should be a, a, a class called problem solving because mm. there is no problem solving left anymore. 
people don't realize that you can go and be a plumber and make a hundred thousand dollars a year, not bring those problems home with you that you have somewhere right. else yeah. and, and chill and be happy, start your own business, you know, and, and make as much money as you want to make work when, when you want to work, you know, so, you know, education has gotten to the point where having that piece of paper has become more than it actually is. And luckily I think people are starting to realize that, that, Hey, I'm not going to go to school for six years, come out making a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, or, or whatever in the world's not going to be the easiest thing. And, you know, you have to actually work for it. You know, one of the things my guys uh, wanted to do with me was they wanted a list of their job description. Hmm. And I was like, are you sure? And they said, yes, I want a list of my job description. I said, okay, so we're going to do this two ways. We're going to see if you get it. So I wrote everything on a piece of paper and I handed it to them. They're like, everything? What are you talking about? Everything. Everything. If you pull up to a customer's house and there's trash on the ground, pick it up. Everything is your job. Your eyes should be open looking at everything. Is that good enough or do you want more detail? I want more detail. Okay. So I'm going to write you a job description. Okay. Now that it's written, if you don't do one of the things on there, you're going to have a problem. Right. So it's easier just to do everything as often as you can, do the best you can, because when you don't do something, it's not that big of a deal. But if I give you A to Z Mm -hmm. and you miss B, you're going to have a problem. (laughs) That's a good point. So they kind of opened their eyes a little bit and got it at that point. That's funny. I think it's interesting, you know, thinking about education, because obviously there are some areas, you know, if you're going to be in medicine, you have to, yeah, you know, if you're going to be a lawyer, you got to, yep. there's certain things that like, obviously you have to have a traditional yep. education in order to even be allowed to participate in those industries. Yep. But, you know, I, I went to school briefly, went to college briefly, and I did pretty well, but then I got distracted and I was growing this business at the time and, and then I ended up quitting school and I worked for my uncle for six months in the insurance industry, actually totally different business. And that six months was the best education I could have ever had because I learned how to deal with customers that are really angry. Mm-hmm. Whether whether they have the right to be angry or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether or not I actually did something wrong. It matters how they feel about it. Yep. And and I remember specifically one time on a call with my uncle, a lady called in. I don't remember what she was upset about, but she was upset. I mean, she was yelling and screaming and angry. And he just listened to her. And by the end of the call, she said, oh, Tim, I'm so sorry. You know, I, you know. <laughs> and I just thought, man, that was amazing. Like, because because all he did was listen to her, yeah. empathize with the pain that she was in. Because a lot of times, like, when somebody's upset about something, you know, when they're upset with me, they're not really upset about their website. When they're upset, they're not really upset about their carpet. There's something else right. going on. Yeah. And, and there's this, I mentioned this on another podcast, but there's a video that I love that Chick-fil-A put out years ago. And it shows these people walking in. It was a customer training video. It shows these people walking into the store, and up above their head, it has like these little bubbles, and it says something like, um, "Just lost their dog today," mm-hmm. or you know, "Is in the process of divorce," yeah. or all these kinds of things, and they're just there to buy a chicken sandwich. Yeah. But you have the opportunity with that customer, kind of like we were talking about earlier with your you know team members, you've got the opportunity to change their day by what yeah. you say and sure. how you do how you act. And I just I love that attitude. And I think. You know, a lot of times you think about things that are weaknesses or disabilities or any other kind of area. It's like you said, you either have the choice to kind of succumb to it or rise above it. Yeah. And the, and I, I honestly believe that for any area that somebody has a severe weakness, they have a severe strength or an extreme strength you have to that maybe they haven't recognized yet. And sure. so, so we can either spend our time focused on what those weaknesses are or we can go find the strength and double down on those. Because I... Sure. 
people talk a lot about like, I mean, working on your weaknesses, which is fine, but I really believe in doubling down on your strengths. Right. Because I'd rather go from a, a seven to a 10 yep. than I would from a one to a three. Because right. a three is still a three. Exactly. <laughs> you, know? yep. you tell Oliver every day, there's nothing in the world that he can't do if he wants to do it. Yeah. Every day you tell him that. And one day it's going to click and he's going to, he's going to, that fire inside of him is going to say, nothing is going to stop me from doing anything I want to do. I'm going to find a way to do it and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's what it's about. That's what Michelle did for me was when we first got together and we started getting serious, she was like, you have to do something. And I was like, what? She goes, you got to go get your GED. And I was like, it's, I the thought of going back to school. I said, you don't know what it does to me internally. Yeah. And she said, just go take the practice test. So I went, I talked to the girls at the, uh, at the practice test, you know, explained to them what my situation was. And she goes, just take a test. It's not a big deal. Just chill. Just relax. I took the test. And what that test did was it told you what you needed to work on to get mm. ready for the real test. So when I got done, she scanned it and she looked at me and she was like, what are you doing next Saturday? Nothing. She goes, you need to come take the test. She goes, you just got a 98% on it. <laughs> and I was like, get out of here. And she goes, yeah. She goes, you, you got this. Just yeah. come take. So I, I went back, I took the test. You know, I passed it. I did really good. And one thing that that stuck with me, that she had the confidence in Mm -hmm. me because she not only did she want me to have the piece of paper because she knew it was important for me Mm -hmm. mentally, but it was also important just to to get hired to a regular job, you know, to to have your high school diploma. So one thing she did a couple of years ago, um, I always wanted to get my captain's license. I'm an avid voter, avid fisherman. I've always wanted to get my captain's license for no other reason just to have it. And I'd put it off and I put it off because it's 40 hours of school and it's hard school. It's not easy school. It's very difficult math, drift. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, I put it off and I put it off. So uh, Christmas a couple of years ago, I opened up a package and it was C school paid for. Your start date is April 16th and you're going to school. And let me tell you. Nervous breakdown, panic attack, <laughs> freaking out. What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? She says, you're going to be fine. Mm. You're, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of hands-on. She goes, at this point in your life, you figured out how to overcome your problems. So figure it out. So uh, it was five days, 40 hours. And uh, we took the text the following Saturday. And on each part of the test, you're only allowed to miss three or four questions out of like 60. And you're talking international law and all kinds of stuff. Man, I walked away with my captain's license. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it was it was neat. It was cool. I think a lot of times what happens with stuff like that too is, and it's kind of what you're talking about, is that there's that kind of internal fear mm-hmm. of something that it could be rooted from childhood, you yep. know, that says, you can't do this. These are not things you're good at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Protect yourself from it. And at some point, you just have to try, Yeah. you know? And, and I think you have to, I think in business, in relationship, anything, in anything that we do, there's always the reality of, hey, like, I might fail at this. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and I'm, so now I'm curious, you know, you've been in business for over a decade. So in that time period, there's always things that come up that are kind of not what you want to happen. You know, mm-hmm. situations with customers or, or, or whatever. And, and there's probably a thousand different ones over time that, that come to mind. There are for me. But are there any kind of stories or situations that you've kind of been through that were difficult and trying as a business that you thought, man, I don't, um, we have to, this is a really serious problem we got to work through. And you said you're good at problem solving, but there's still those times where it comes up mm-hmm. and you're like, well, shoot, now what? Anything like that that kind of pops to mind? Well, there's there's two areas I'll talk to you about real quick. Number one is is customer service and keeping customers happy. That's actually very easy because we have extremely old-fashioned customer service. 
even if the customer is wrong, I still fix what the problem is because I don't want anybody to have anything negative to say in any way, shape or form. Uh, quick example. We uh, went to a lady's house. We're very honest with what we do. And we tell people, it's probably not going to clean up real good. It's a lot of wear. We're going to do our best. We explained everything to her. We cleaned it. She calls and she was like, I'm just not happy with the rug. I think you ruined it. And I said, I can assure you we didn't ruin your rug, but let me come take a look at it. I went out, looked at it. We went back and forth a couple of times. And I said, what do you want me to do? And she goes, well, you ruined my rug. And I was like, I'll buy you a new one. And she goes, well, that proves you would it. And I was like, no, it doesn't. It proves yeah. that I just want you to be happy. I don't want you to go tell 20 people I ruined your rug, even though you know I didn't. Right. So it's cheaper for me just to buy you a new rug. Mm-hmm. Then, so that the customer service side of it is very easy. I just don't allow anybody to be unhappy about anything because the negative impact far exceeds whatever it's going to cost me to fix it. Mm-hmm. Plus, our reputation is the most important thing in the world for us. Knock on wood. We don't have a negative review. I could challenge you to spend an hour on Google and look for a negative review about us. Wow. And you can't because I don't allow anybody to be unhappy. Hmm. Even if somebody can't be happy, the question gets answered, what do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. I'll do anything you want me to do. And then most of the time they sit there and stare at you like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then I start suggesting just, what do you want me to do? You know, so that fixes that. Now, the biggest regret that I have was learning how to advertise and how to deal with contracts and how to market and manage the business at the beginning. Um, we got sucked into something that hurt us really, really, really bad. Um, I'm not going to name the company, but it was a package that goes out to new homeowners when they first buy their house. Um, it's like a welcome package. Mm-hmm. And it was $1,100 a month for mm-hmm. us to be in it. We got a, a you know full page you know, prominent, um, we didn't get a single phone call, Ooh. not a single phone call, $12,000, not mm. a, not one single phone call. Well, three months into it, I started freaking out because we didn't have any money. We're new in business. Yeah. I called the company and I was like, look, man, I said, we're not getting any phone calls. What can we do? And they're like, you can keep paying. Mm. You signed a contract. Wow. So what that taught me was I do not enter in any contracts without a way out. Mm-hmm. So when the Times Union called and said, we want you to advertise with us. Okay, well, it's a six-month commitment. Absolutely not. I'll sign a six-month commitment if you let me out in two months if the phone's not ringing. Mm-hmm. And so you, I've learned how to not lock myself into financial commitments. You know, contracts are made to be changed. Contracts yeah. are made for two people to agree to. Just because an advertiser comes to me and says, here's your contract, that doesn't mean I can't take that pen and change it so that it suits me a little more than it does him. Yep. So I will not sign an advertising contract for more than a two-month period of time so I can test the waters. And if that person doesn't agree to that, then he's just not going to get my business because that tells me that he's not standing behind and confident in what he has to offer. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's how it is. I don't have contracts for my commercial customers simply because I feel like I don't want you to force to be staying here if you're not happy with me. I want you to be happy with me. You want me to be here because you want me to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tinseltown Movie Theater, five years now, six years now, we've been doing them. Mm. No contract. Just we, we line out throughout the year what we want to do. If Jason calls and says, let's sit down and talk. Okay. You know, you guys got a little slappy last time. Okay. I'm sorry. Let, let's tell me what, you know, he shows us what the problem was. We fix it. I talk to the guys and we move on. Mm-hmm. We're human. Everybody makes mistakes. Yep. It's how you fix that mistake that defines you. 
So that's the biggest thing that, that hammered us was learning the advertising and contract laws. So two things on that, uh, like I'll dig back into, circle back a little bit. First was about contracts. There's a great book. I actually am a really slow reader too. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and there's one called Never Split the Difference, um, talking about negotiating and contracts. And this guy used to be a CIA agent. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but the, that is the book title. It's Never Split the Difference. And he was a professional negotiator for the FBI and the CIA. Oh, <laughs> and so each chapter starts with these stories about, like in the early days, it's like him dealing with like a bank robbery. And then like by the end, he's dealing with like, you know, Al-Qaeda, you wow. know, like serious terrorist hostage negotiation situations, like literally life or death kind of stuff. Really cool stories. But then he ties that into conversations about all kind of negotiating, whether you're negotiating to get a new car or negotiating a business deal or or whatever it is. Really, really interesting stories. But I think that idea about contracts is really important because we all want customers, not hostages. Yes. And that's what I tell people too, is I I have no interest in you being a customer eight months, 12 months, five years down the road if you don't want to be a customer anymore. That's right. Go find somebody else that's a better fit because we might not be a good fit for you. Depending on your business or personalities or who knows what else, like... It might not be your fault. It might not even be our fault. It just might not be a good fit, and that's okay. And so we used to do 12-month contracts on a lot of our marketing engagements, but we've dropped all that, and now we basically just ask for 60 days cancellation notice because it gives us time Perfect. to sort yep. through plans and things. The only time that changes is when we have a lot of upfront work that we have to do on a job. Then we're not really locking them into a contract. We're just spreading the payments out over exactly. 12 months, and that's a different story exactly. altogether. But I, yep. but I totally agree. Like Locking yourself into long-term commitments as a business that you don't have any certainty on is a highly risky yeah. behavior, especially if you don't have a ton of cash. Yep. If you get a ton of cash and you're willing to take the risk, great, roll the dice, like if that's what you're comfortable with. But if you don't have a ton of cash, especially in the early days, never lock. I mean, I see businesses that lock those into three-year agreements oh, on yeah. stuff. And I'm like, what? Yep. Like, you have a three-year agreement on your website at $1,000 a month and you don't even own it at the end of the three years? Like, what are you talking about? Buy a car. It's insane, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the other thing is, going back to what you talked about before, which is you know ending kind of the conversation with, well, what do you want me to do, is such a diffuser because what it's doing is saying, look, something has happened. Maybe it was good. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was our fault. Maybe it wasn't. Like, But there's no point. Like, There's almost never a point in arguing that conversation you because you never win. Right. Like, It's, it's a, always a losing battle because that person feels and believes what they feel and believe whether it's true or not, and it doesn't matter. Nope. And so the, the next best question is always like, what's next? That's what I always tell my team is like, the, what you need to find out is how can we move forward? And yep. if how we move forward is, hey, we're terminating this agreement, here's what we're going to give you back, or here's what we're going to do, fine. Like, yep. do that. If it's, hey, well, we're just going to fix this and move forward. Because sometimes people just need a little bit of something fixed to feel like they're validated, yep. and that's great. Like, let's move on, because like, I want to move forward. One thing to always remember is I, as the business owner... It is 100% my responsibility to make sure you as a customer understand what's going on, knows what's going on, are not surprised by anything. So if you come to me and you say, well, I didn't think it was going to look like that. I didn't do my job because my job is to make sure you know what's going to clean up, what's not, what's where, what's not, how it's going to clean up, how it's not. Even if I don't know, I need to prepare you for what may or may not happen. And if I didn't do that clearly and you're not Mm -hmm. happy about it, I have to fix it without arguing with you. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to win. You're not. All you're going to do is go to the water cooler and tell 15 people how bad I suck. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, man, this guy messed this up. And geez, he fixed it to the point where 
I'd use them again. Right. And, so, that, and that's so critical because I think that a lot of times the, the stories I tell the most are actually the ones where I do think somebody screwed up, but then they fixed it so well that right. you're like, well, shoot. I mean, yeah. they came back and just did like, that's the kind of person you want to deal with yeah. because I mean, I tell people from the very beginning, like if we're going to work together long enough, we're going to mess something up somewhere. Like we are not robots. We're human. And man. we're going to mess it up. And I don't want to, but we're going to break right. something. That's right. And, and I want to get it right as much as we can. And, and, and then we do get it wrong. Let's just fix it and move on. You yeah. know? So we're kind of wrapping up time-wise. So I'd love to hear two kind of final things from you. One is, um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, you and your wife are in business, have been in business together. Uh, but you like to do other things. You like to go fishing. You like to do a lot of that together. You, you, you like to do other things in life that aren't just work. And so how have you over the years learned to kind of find ways to carve out space to go, hey, I'm going to be out on the boat today, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, versus, you know, the constant... Is it's hard. It's hard to not be in business 24 hours a day. Yeah, it is. You um, you can't let your business run you. You have to run your business. Mm-hmm. So when Michelle goes to answer the phone at 7 o'clock at night, I look at her and say, why are you answering the phone? Let's watch the movie and chill. You don't mm-hmm. need to answer the phone. They have the emergency number. If it's an emergency, they'll call. If it's a flood or, or something. So you have to work towards not letting your business run you. You have to schedule your time off. You have to schedule your playtime until it comes natural because it is very easy to let your business run you. You know, for our first five years, I was six, seven days a week. If we were on the beach fishing because it was slow, if that phone rang and somebody said my dog pooped, all the lines were coming in and I was going to work. Yep. But we were building our business at yep. that point. Now that the business is is built, it's still building, but now that it's stable and running, you have to take back what you gave which is your time mm-hmm. and you have to go enjoy yourself. Um, two of the things that are so much more important to us than anything in the world is our community service. Mm-hmm. The things that we do, you know, we, we made a, a run out to Oklahoma, you know, years ago. I didn't have time to do that, mm-hmm. but I had to mm-hmm. because it was bothering me. Uh, we ran it down to the Keys and helped the people down in the Keys. I didn't have time to do that, mm-hmm. but I made time to do it. So if you don't make time to do things that are important, then you never get to do anything. Um, you know, Michelle and I will run down to the Keys and, and go fishing for three or four days and come back. Now, our animals tie us down. We don't have kids. We tried for 25 years and never had kids. Mm-hmm. So our animals are our kids. Um, so that's one of the things that hold us. But we, we play. We play hard. But we also work hard. Mm-hmm. So you start to get resentful of your business if you don't play and you just do nothing but work. It just it, – it'll crush you on the inside and you'll lose. You'll, yeah. you'll burn out and you'll lose. You have to You have to play. I love that idea of you can't let the business run you. You have to run the business. It's the same mentality for your schedule. You can't let your schedule run you. You got to run your schedule. Same thing with your bank account. You let your bank, you let your budget run you, or you know, or you can run your budget. And Dave Ramsey always says, you know, our job is to tell the money what to do, yep. not the money to tell us what to do. And and I think I just that that's the kind of thing that is just real world practical advice that I love having on this podcast. Any other parting uh, thoughts or advice before we wrap up today? No, I mean, the only thing I like to say, if there's, if there's anybody that's new in business or thinking about starting a business, don't be afraid. There's nothing in the world better than being a business owner. Yeah. There's, there's nothing in the world better than it. Um, you know, I, I love taking care of my guys. I love the relationship I have with them. You know, I love the position it put me in to be able to do things in my community. I, I can do things that I would never be able to do if I was working for somebody else. So don't be afraid. Whatever's holding you back, Figure it out, get it done, pull the trigger, and just don't let anything stop you. 
Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. I just love guys like you who uh, care about people, care about their business, and have just earned the right of success over time. Thanks uh, for all you do. Well, I appreciate it. And, and it, on a party note, one of the things I do is is I surround myself with people better than me that I can learn off of, grow off of, and watch. And I want to let you know that you're one of those people. So I appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. So I've, I've watched you grow and learn from you, and, and, and uh, I look up to you. So I appreciate it. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks for being so, on the show. Yes, sir. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.